This is Coda Radio, episode 534 for September 5th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. Taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. Surviving the storm and here to podcast yet again, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. How are you, Mr. Fisher? Good, good. Glad you made it. I think it's important the show continues, you know. People would be sad if that was our last episode. That would be very sad. Yeah, glad you made it. However, it seems Visual Studio for the Mac is not as fortunate. Did not make it, no. No. uh, (laughs) Old Yeller style, back of the woodshed, bang, bang. Yeah, like already done. Right? Like they, oh, 2024, August 31st, 2024. So you got 12 months, basically. The IDE we know as Visual Studio for Mac these days has a long and truly painful history. Uh, it was originally MonoDevelop, which then became Xamarin Studio. Yeah. Right. And then Visual Studio. And it just never, it never got its uh, sea legs. I think a, a lot of that was Microsoft has just put so much in VS Code. We didn't put it in the show notes, but they just released a kind of a group bundle package called the C Sharp Dev Kit, which basically brings VS Code up and beyond parity with the Visual Studio for Mac. You could argue it already was, right? So, yeah, it's kind of a product without a home. I mean, you can do all your all your Xamarin nonsense, which now really they'd rather you do Maui, which is a whole thing that we don't talk about much because. I don't know, they keep rehashing the same idea over and over again. Uh, but you could do it in VS Code, and it's fine. And they have proper support. So I do feel bad, though, for uh, the handful of dark matter devs out there that were uh, probably using this tooling. I'll pour a little coffee out for you, friends. Yeah, but I feel like the Venn diagram of like dark matter.net developers who are running Mac and, and are actually running Visual Studio for Mac natively is pretty... <laughs> pretty low right that's like yeah. 10 guys maybe i mean write in if you are yeah i guess yeah let us know let us know like I, I think maybe more like mono developers right people who are like supporting old mono packages for linux or something might have or like server side mono stuff right might have uh been using vs for mac i don't know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well hbc morgan really brought the bacon this week he says next time i promise it'll be a boost I was originally going to college to graduate as an automotive repairman. I had some internships in local shops and a fair amount of experience. I found out my college had an InfoSec degree, and I changed my degree that day. (laughs) But I wanted to pass along something that I had got from the various mechanics when I was interning. Shop owners and even the head of that automotive department at my college would say, quote, your back will be shot by 40, so by that point you should be working towards owning a shop or specializing in a more static experience work. Like, you know, maybe you specialize in engine rebuilds where you don't move a lot or you really specialize or you own your own shop, essentially, because the body gives out. I mean, so so that was one of the reasons he wanted to switch to tech. Although I think my back doesn't like my sitting all day very much. Standing desk, dude. You got to get in on this. I know. I know. I know. I know. I I tried for a bit. I did. I got to try it again. Do do you know what I just got? I actually have to set it up. I got a treadmill for under the standing desk. You know, Linus Torvalds does that. I, I don't think it's a bad idea. That's actually, I think I stole it from him. I think I could do it with like a, maybe if I had a laptop station, so it wasn't like my main station, but when I was at for a bit, mm-hmm. I could see that. 
He also has a little sysadmin bacon he wants to fry towards the web dev. So please don't assume your app will always be served at the root of the domain. Your web app may be put behind a proxy where the URL changes. Uh, there are tons of cases where I need to proxy something. And uh, he goes on to admit that, uh, yes, it's more academic web apps that are likely to start out as a thesis project, but it's a real pain when you're doing a reverse proxy. It makes us admins then need to leverage all sorts of on-the-fly rewriting like Apache's mod substitute to rewrite the contents of the HTML, the CSS, etc., just so your web app can handle the proxy. And then finally, to new Linux users, and this one gave me a chill, stop relying on ChatGPT. I'm constantly catching my intern saying, quote, just ask chat when it comes to dealing with Linux issues. I have found it often leads them as well astray as it just is learning via Stack Overflow based on my logs in a RHEL environment. He says there's also way too many of them trying to do pseudo app get X on a Red Hat box. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we learned, uh, and, and not to make light of his issue, but I think we learned that ChatGPT is indeed biased. So we owe an apology to all the people wanting to regulate. It happens to be a canonical fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, well, it, you know, if you were taking the quantity of Stack Overflow posts, there's probably more Ubuntu ones. I than... bet that's what it is, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, so when I was doing Linux back in Ubuntu, whatever it was, 8.10, 9.10, the big, uh, like the big flex you noobs like me would get yelled at for is, did you just copy and paste that and run it as root from Stack Overflow? Like, maybe. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Big, big, big deal back then. Well, it still is, but it still it's is. become like there's so many projects now. Um, Morgan, thank you for writing in. And thank you for everything. Uh, listener Mike brought some spice for us, too. He says he's been listening to episode 531. He's been working as a developer since 1996. So listen up, kids, because he's got some advice. Stay a while and listen. I have a different take on the tech stack. TypeScript is nearly perfect. Whoa, that's that's some that is some spice. All right. It's a shame that it transpiles to run on Node.js. If we could just get more compute threads out of it, it would, be go, it would go a long way. Projects like Dino, which promised to improve it, just aren't taking off. Now, here's, the, here's, a, here's a hot one. Python is garbage. The tooling is getting better, but every time we work on it, we feel the pain. Do you hear that hissing? <laughs> Unless you'll be using data heavy, I avoid it. Working with it feels like JavaScript or TypeScript maybe seven years ago, but Whoa. it's been around since the 90s. Oh, there's just so much here. Savage, savage. This is some savage. spicy, uh, spicy curry. Okay, so all I have to say, and I actually have a blog post drafted that I keep not finishing because I get too depressed, is this is why WebAssembly needed to take off more in terms of the TypeScript transpiling. Mm. I think when he says Node, he really means like transpiling to run on, uh, yeah, to run like as JavaScript. Um, WebAssembly would, if it was more properly adopted, effectively solve this problem. And I don't need to link to because you can Google yourself or DuckDuckGo if you're a Freedom Penguin. All the various benchmarks of the performance characteristics of WebAssembly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree TypeScript is a good language. I do enjoy working in it. I like Python. I will say there's some janky Python scripts that uh, customers over the years have had. I don't know, to each his own, right? I, I would suggest if you're going to get into Python and you want to avoid some of the jank, Check out something more modern like a fast API, which I know I've recommended a bunch of times, and I still have to thank Wes for because he's the one who turned me on to it. So yeah, it's all good. And yes, we can all pour one out for WebAssembly. It's not dead yet, but I just it I it just isn't. I don't know unless I'm missing some like big uh, initiative, but I I don't see it. Yeah, I'm seeing it, but it's slow. Oh, you we know, were talking uh, about how many years ago though. I just I wouldn't. I just don't. Would never doubt the Snake Jazz. You know, people Play love it. Snake Jazz. 
That's good, man. Uh, he finishes it up with a uh, with a hard sell for Kotlin. He says, lately I've been getting more into Kotlin. Great ecosystem of enterprise-readily libraries. Transpiles down to the JVM, which is blazing fast and scales well. And Ktor is fantastic for simple APIs. Spring is great if you need more than Ktor offers. And Kotlin is to Java what TypeScript is to JavaScript. It's easier for newer devs to learn than Java. And it's more fun to work in as well. Yeah, Kotlin is great. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a couple projects in Spring Boot uh, in Kotlin. It was good. Listener Thanks. Mike, I really enjoyed that email. Thank you. Yeah, I like the I like the spice. Coder.show slash contact if you've got an email you want to send in to us. Uh, had to. I yes. had to try it. I had to try it on. <laughs> of course, you can also boost the show. Thank you, everybody who supports each production with a boost. You can get a new podcast app at podcastapps.com. Castomatic on iOS is fantastic. Podverse is cross-platform, which is great for me, and GPL, also on the web. And Fountain FM has a super unique discovery and sat streaming system going on. All of those and more at podcastapps.com. And you can boost in and support the show and we'll read your message on the show. Or if you want to keep your podcast app, get albi.com. You install that, top it off, and then head on over to the podcast index and you'll find us over there. And each boost goes to Editor Drew, myself, the network, and a portion of the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem. And you can become a member if that's your game, coderqa.co. We have a coderly planned, a special Labor Day coderly for our members, which also has some spicy topics in it that'll be coming out soon. You get access to the coderlies plus an ad-free version of the feed. You can get every quarterly we've ever done, plus the new ones. And you support the show at coderqa.co or all the shows at jupiter.party. And thank you, everybody who does choose to support us. So Microsoft has blamed a recent outage on basically everything but themselves. Um, It was really rather embarrassing. Their Australia East cloud region suffered an outage that was really kicked off a domino effect was kicked off by what they're calling a power seg which tripped cooling units offline in the data center which then just started a whole cascade of issues and microsoft they really kind of pin it on an issue that they had with their automation system they say quote our automation this is in their own self-analysis quote our automation was incorrectly approving stale requests and marking some healthy nodes as unhealthy which slowed storage recovery. And with the storage offline, they couldn't get to their diagnostic tools to properly diagnose things. So they had to find things that had failed at a hardware level, old school style, by removing one component at a time and discovering what was preventing the servers from booting because the automation system couldn't properly start the storage system, which had the diagnostic tools on it. So this is really where they're laming the blame. However, the part in their analysis that I find absolutely irresponsible for something that's at the scale of Azure. They had three people on site at that data center, huge data center. And the data center is so big that it was part of the delay was just the time it took the staff to transit the data center to get around the place in their like little carts and stuff because it's so huge. They say, quote, due to the size of the data center campus, the staffing of the team at night was insufficient to restart the chillers in a timely manner. The report goes on to state, quote, we have temporarily increased the team size from three to seven until the underlying issues are better understood. And then they're going to roll back to three. But will they call themselves the Magnificent Seven? <laughs> no, they're going to be the Lonely Three. 
the, 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 uh, those tres caballeros. The other thing that they just kind of they just kind of brush off is uh, they didn't have any procedures for this particular scenario. You don't need them. It's fine. But they only had one chiller working. They needed five. Right. They couldn't get around all the systems to get them online in time. They couldn't get to their diagnostics. Their automation system failed them. How many times does it go down like this where we hear like the automation system was out so they couldn't get the rest of the system up? They yeah, never learn. They never learn. Three people, Mike. I mean, people are paying how much for Azure and Microsoft can't staff seven full time there at this. Oh, they're paying. Thing? Oh, they're paying. That's, you know, this is one of those things that is, is kind of funny, but also great if you're in this business, because you could be like, hey, listen, even Microsoft goes down. So, you know. Yeah. What are you going to do? Nothing you, you can do, do right? Well, especially now, if your application's on Azure, this is one of the hardest things to diagnose or to explain to a customer that the underlying infrastructure that you rely on has just failed. I it kinda, sounds cheap. It sounds like they're doing it cheap. Well, it's it sounds uh, it sounds super dumb, right? Like it's not it's not a it's not a good situation for anybody. Nobody comes out looking great in these kind of things. Because the contractors who presumably have client stuff on these on these systems are, are look like fools, right? Microsoft look like idiots, and uh, apparently they still don't want to allocate budget, which <laughs> you have to kind of admire their just unwillingness to pay yeah. for things. It makes you feel like it's just a margin play for them. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I don't know. I can't believe only three people work at this data center that's so large they can't transit in time to get systems back online. It's uh, it's just, I don't know, when you think of the cloud and you think of Azure or AWS, you think of a really professionally run operation. Um, but I guess You it's don't like expect it to center. arbitrarily crash. Yeah. Here's another interesting story that's come out in the last week since we got together. If you read the tea leaves, it really seems like Apple is doing some damage control around a low uptake in the Apple Vision Pro SDK. Some concerns were highlighted by Mark Gurman last month, claiming that the developer labs had been underfilled with small amounts of people showing up. Hmm. And then according, according to others, it seemed like there hadn't been a lot of hardware that shipped based, based on where they looked at some of the supply chain stuff for the developer editions. But Apple has tried to come out and address this. They didn't directly they didn't directly come at it, but they said that they've seen quote extremely high three digit customer satisfaction for the labs that we've run so far. So they're focusing on well, the people that we have worked with are have very high customer sat numbers, and they're kind of dodging the whole not many people are showing up, not a lot of SDKs are getting downloaded, not as many hardware units are shipping. Yeah, but Chris, those customer sat numbers. Yeah. They're glorious. One direct quote is Apple is supremely confident that their uh, developers are going to flock to the groundbreaking new device. I don't know, man. I'm, you know, the hype's, the hype's faded a bit. We still, we still have to wonder uh, how compelled are developers going to be to ship an app on a device that the CEO of the company won't even be caught public wearing. <laughs> He's like, uh, this is not entering my face ever. Right. I mean, if, if Tim Cook's worried about the way it looks... Well, then why wouldn't most people be worried about the way it looks? Yeah, I don't understand a lot about this. I mean, I think somebody emailed, or I think they, it doesn't really matter. I think they Discord messaged me, but about that we're off on this because it's really like the prototype, right? It's meant for, you know, the Barcos and Elons of the world. 
which are obviously quite a bit different than each other. Rich people is where I was going with that. But like this is not the high high volume, high impact play. I guess I kind of see that, but it it sure seems like you want to make a big splash out the gate. Yeah, and these reports, I'll, I'll remind you, are not measuring consumer interest. Right. They're measuring developer interest, uh, which is who I think they'd want to be going after. Right. I also feel like if this thing, when this thing does ship in 2024, it's going to feel even more expensive than it does now. I just, uh, I, I really want to see something like this take off, but I'm getting a lot of mixed signals from the developer community on it. And German is too. And German's usually fairly accurate about this stuff. And the fact that Apple won't directly address the concern, but kind of talks around it, that sounds like Appleese for, you know, we're going to focus on where we have success and we're going to minimize where we're having some failure. Yeah, it, it does seem like they're they're definitely circling some wagons on this one. Although, who knows, right? I, see, the problem is I, I, I feel like no matter what they're going to say, it's sold out because they're just not going to make many. <laughs> Let me ask you this. If this flops, does this kill the market for VR for a while? Is the quest going to suffer? Does it, does it, is a blip? Like, I'm trying to think, it, it, is the, is the reaction to this going to be, well, if Apple can't pull it off, no one can? Um, I think the reaction's going to be less it kills off the market for VR. I sort of think the market for VR is suffering because of the general economy being kind of garbage right now. And the price point is going to be like, I could totally see this being something that you see in like, you know, like a status symbol kind of thing. Yeah. But most people don't actually have. Man, a, a, a $500 app and Apple vision air seems like a killer device to me because, you know, we own now two quests in the family. My daughters just love them. The real gap they haven't closed is the one that Apple is sort of natively built to close, right? With their own OS stack, their own hardware stack, their own metal GPU API, their own cameras, all of the experience they have making tiny devices. They just have such a home advantage that I kind of think if Apple can't pull it off, no one could. Now, I think the only wiggle room for argument there would be price, like, this is just a ridiculously high-priced item, but at $500, this thing seems like a slam dunk to me. Well, but at $500, is it even feasible, right? Like Eventually. Eventually, right? Like, it, it, the, the, thing I, the, the trouble I have with this being like the prototype or the introduction to this kind of market is people change their tastes over time. Right. If, if we've learned anything, a lot of this tech stuff, particularly the consumer side, a lot of it is basically fashion at this point. Right. It's, it's about what's in, what's hip. And there might just be a new hot thing. Yeah, like saving money. I think that's a big thing right now, don't you? Don't you feel, don't you feel like people are a little less spendy? They're tapped out. Yeah. The, the, stat, the stats show us people are tapped out. Um, right. I think it's something like the majority of Americans don't have enough buffer to cover anything over a random $400 expense. Anything more than that, they'd have to put on credit. The problem right. is, is that also at the same time, credit balances are just kind of maxing out. The Fred charts really show this. It's, uh, we're seeing those both at the same time. I think it's just the ongoing cost of goods being high for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, people like me, I have cars that need gas. I got kids that need food. So like that hasn't changed, but the cost, the, the things I require have gone up in price. And if something else comes up that's unexpected, you have to absorb that somehow. And right. I'm like, I've already kind of decided, unless I damage my phone, I'm probably not getting 
a Pixel 8 or an iPhone 15 or whatever it would be that I would buy, I think I'm going to try to wait yeah, a year. Like, yeah, same. At least. Same. I mean, you know, health insurance costs, food costs, everything is just crazy high. I, I guess I don't see a world where a lot of people are just willing to spend $3,500 on this type of thing. Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there right now to support the show and get a free account for up to 100 devices. That's not a limited time deal. You can use up to 100 devices for free when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. So what is it? Put simply, Tailscale is a VPN you never have to worry about again. It builds a secure network between all your machines, your mobile devices, your VPSs, your desktops, what doesn't matter the operating system or even the architecture. Tailscale has a client for it that builds a mesh network that is protected by WireGuard. And it is fantastic. And because data goes directly between your machines, the performance is incredible. And there's a bunch of really nice utilities you can build around that. Something that we've started taking really seriously is integrating Tailscale into our infrastructure when we deploy it. There's things out there like CloudInit, which you're probably pretty familiar with as a standard mechanism for initializing new server images. And you can hook Tailscale into that. And so when the machine initially boots, it comes online to your Tailnet. And then you can kind of parlay that with Tailscale SSH, which lets you log into any of your machines on your Tailnet using SSH with your Tailscale credentials. And they have a really nice dashboard to manage all this, configure the ACLs. It's really slick. And even when you're separated by firewalls or subnets or even the dreaded double carrier horrible NAT stuff, I can attest it just works. Also can attest it works great over Starlink. It is the VPN solution that makes all the other ones look old. And if you're in a corporation and you have lots of users, Tailscale can scale. That's funny. I just realized, ha, huh, get it? But what I mean is you don't have to have like crazy large infrastructure that you now have to manage inside your organization. It'll connect into your single sign-on system that you have. And if you have two-factor authentication, it supports that as well. And you don't have to have like a VPN box or you don't have to have some crazy thing that integrates in with your directory and some sort of clunky mechanism where you're playing some crazy support contract just so that way they can update their archaic software every couple of years. I have been there. Uh, one of my old jobs was maintaining a VPN on a proprietary hardware firewall that a bank needed, and it was a nightmare. And Tailscale makes it so quick to get started. You'll be up and running in just a couple of minutes, and you can scale beyond there if you need it just for a couple of machines or you need it for your enterprise. Go to tailscale.com slash coder. Try it out 100 devices, support the show, and see what we've been talking about. It'll change your networking game. For me personally, I don't have any inbound ports anymore. I have more self-hosted infrastructure than I've ever had, and I do it all over my tailnet. Even just syncing my contacts, my calendar, doing my remote connections, file transfers, I do it all over Tailscale. You're going to love it. Tailscale.com slash coder. We don't need to spend a lot of time on X, or formerly known as Twitter, but it seems like Elon has a plan to make money. because He's 44 bill in the hole on this thing, and he wants to turn it into a LinkedIn competitor as well as a Substack competitor. And he's been kind of taking shots at LinkedIn on Twitter, and he's described LinkedIn as cringe and has promised, has promised a hiring feature on X will be, quote, cool. And um, I think he's right. I think LinkedIn is cringe. I feel bad because people are constantly like, why don't you connect with me, bro? And I, I don't, I've never used LinkedIn. I'm not looking for a job. And um, so I've never really been tuned into that. 
but I do find, I don't know, something about it feels needy on LinkedIn. But I think you're, you're a bigger LinkedIn user than I am. So do you think X could pull this off? I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel see that they're, I think that they're two different things, but who the hell knows, right? Everything's constantly changing. Um, LinkedIn being cringe. You know, LinkedIn is, I would say, like an honest prostitute. It is what it is, right? It's everybody's there to sell something or to get a job or to climb the ladder or to pretend to be super positive about whatever the issue of the day is. And it's like you're you're, you're selling, right? It's it's the it's the, I, I think of it as like the store window to your personality, right? It's the Macy's window on Fifth Avenue of your personality. Is Twitter going to be that? I mean, I think about. I mean, let's just pull up my Twitter feed. <laughs> it's probably pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, the Twitter feed isn't great still. It almost makes sense to me if you zoom out. So you've got, now you've got long posts on there and you've got live streaming and you've got video hosting. You've got their Hangouts thing that they have, which actually in my, my feed gets used. People are on those Twitter group chat things all the time. And the experience to listen to them while you're scrolling Twitter isn't bad. Um, it kind of sucks as a video platform, but it's there. And they have what seems to be a pretty aggressive monetization program for content creators on the platform. It, I think it has a shot at some of this stuff. I think where it really falls apart for me is they also got their money transmitter license. Now, this is an ongoing thing. Twitter has secured money transmitter licenses in Arizona, Georgia, Maryland, Michigan, New Hampshire, and Missouri. Uh, but they hope to receive, and they will have to, a transmitter license in all the U.S. states. There are no timeline for those approval, but along with this transmitter license, they've also lawfully extended the service to include crypto payments and trading. And I, I really don't like that. I, I mean... Maybe sending money over DMs. I guess every every chat platform has to have that, apparently. I thought you could already do that. But, man, if they start, like, shilling Doge on Twitter, that's where it ends, my friend. Do you know what I mean? That's where it ends. Yeah. Like, that's, that's going to turn it into a casino. I mean, I, I think everything online is going to end up at gambling somehow, right? Gambling and crypto, that's... I, I just don't see this working out for them. I mean, he's also trying to claim that the Anti-Defamation League somehow, quote, nearly destroyed Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird. <sighs> yeah. yeah. It's tough, right? I was sympathetic to some of his arguments before he was actually part of Twitter. There was such a, like, one of the fun things about Twitter was what I think a lot of people think is bad at the time, which is like, it was just an open town square where people could holler at each other and whatever. And then they added, you know... Like locking down your DMs, probably a good idea, right? But some of this stuff is really weird now. Like, I, I there's a guy I follow on Twitter, and he, he came up this morning while I was on the toilet because that's when you log into Twitter, and it's like pay two dollars to see my tweet, and I'm like, I wouldn't pay two dollars to see anybody's tweet. No, it, it, I I couldn't imagine. I know that some people manage to get a bit of a, a subscriber following. Yeah, and if you enable subscriptions on Twitter. It replaces the follow button with the subscribe button. And then you got to like dig for the standard follow button. And I, I hate those kind of anti-user patterns too. It's hostile. It, I don't think the whole Twitter mobbing thing has been eliminated. In fact, just this last week, uh, I know how interested you are in this, Chris. There's a new Magic the Gathering set that was released. I was at the pre-release on Saturday. I know. That's, oh, exciting. Is there a hashtag I can follow on, on X? 
you know what? Just type in hasn't showered in three months. And I think it just <laughs> comes up. Uh, well, this guy, liberal guy, right? He's on Twitter. And he just like points something out that was weird that somebody had sent him. And I thought the whole point of this was like to get rid of the Twitter mobs. But he just got eviscerated by like a progressive mob. So I'm not sure that anything has been improved other than like there's a bunch of unemployed advertising executives now. <laughs> Is that an improvement? I don't know. Like, Well, let me ask you a question. Say you are building a new app. You know, maybe, you know, Madbotter's got a brand new product and you want to build a bit of a following around that product. You want to do some organic marketing. How does a how does an independent shop like yourself? Like I'm picturing Eric from our podcast, some of his projects. Sure. You know, he's got a podcast going. Like, how do creators that aren't fortunate enough to just have channels to market and are trying to build organic marketing because that's probably the best thing for their budget? Where do they go now? And I'm trying to evaluate X from that perspective. And if you're coming at it clean, the platform itself offers a lot of features. And I think the issue with going to like Mastodon. And trying to build a following over there where people could ask you and build support and stuff like that. Like there's, it's too fragmented and you're not going to go to Facebook and LinkedIn isn't the right place for it. And Instagram isn't the right place for it. So how, where can you build a following on a platform that is accessible enough that has a network effect where you could maybe have a bit of a customer base. You can interact with your customers. Like every place I've ever worked for has a Twitter account where they're trying to answer questions from users and whatnot and, and make new release announcements. And it, it, it seems like, independent developers especially need an outlet for that kind of stuff oh no i mean i'm back on twitter because i actually have two stories about this because one i saw the traffic to my personal site dominicm.com plummet when i stopped using twitter it turns out my jar jar memes were actually doing something for me (laughs) good oh good 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 yeah and uh i just what is it two months ago i just tried to because the twitter ads are so cheap now they're it's ridiculous what you can get and the, I would say like 80% of the responses to, I was, so I woke up and I saw like, you have these responses to your Twitter ad and my email, like, holy crap, look at all these responses. Almost all of them were people yelling at me for giving Twitter money. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's another thing is there's a blue check rebellion as well. If you get a blue check, people then think you've like bought in. Well, I have the blue check, but I also did a promoted, promoted tweet or whatever they call that a featured tweet. And just the amount of vitriol. Because, like, I don't know, Twitter equals Nazi somehow. It, uh, and I've, I've run Twitter campaigns before, and I've never... I mean, you know, you get, like, the scammers or the people like, yeah, right, probably doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. You know, I call them alpha geek douchebags, i.e. YouTube commenters. It's funny because I, I think you give them too much credit. I think the term mids is more appropriate. I just learned about mid from the 15-year-old. Mid is like the meanest thing you can say to somebody. I know. My kids, my 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 kids, you know, introduced me to mid as well. Mid savage. I think that should be our reply to anything we don't like. Mid. Well, it kind of fits because a lot of times like people aren't thinking critically a lot. It's usually an emotional reaction when somebody comes at you with a lot of energy. And so it is usually a mid take. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's I don't know. I mean, what I I mean, I'm certainly not going to forgo Twitter for marketing purposes because it works to a point. Maybe maybe they turn to podcasts. You know what? Out there, if you're an independent developer out there, maybe you should, you know, boost in and tell us about your app. Give it a nice amount so it's, you know, we get some value out of it and link it and we'll put it in the show notes. Here come here come the gambling apps. I think we should just do like a 
a, a segment every week where it's like the sport. You know, football starts this week. We should just do oh, like yeah? the odds. Just read out the Vegas odds. Too bad we can't have like some sort of fantasy sports that like involves all the different tech companies. You know, some sort of like the Apple Vision Pro would be on there as like a long bet. You know? <laughs> well, we almost had it with Elon and Zuck uh, allegedly going into a, an MMA fight. Oh yeah, right. Well, you know, I'm sure X will add that, and then we can uh, we can all bet some dog coins on it. It'll be <laughs> God. I know. Uh, Everything ends with Doge. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. That's why we are grateful that people support the show with their scarce sats. And Mr. Borkenander, I think is maybe how you say it, sent us in 99,999 sats. He is our baller. Baller. Yeah, yeah. Coming in from Podverse saying, good day, uh, Labadine in, La- in Latvian, which is pronounced Labadine. Hopefully I got that kind of right. The home of Microtech and HealthChecks.io. Oh, we love both those. He says, love the show. Don't know about the rest of you, but listening to it brings me a lot of comfort. Keep up the great work. Well, all right. I'll take that. Hopefully, hopefully that doesn't mean we're boring, but I'll take that as a compliment, I suppose. <laughs> you bring him comfort, Mike. Uh, Yay. I, not I don't a common know. descriptor. I don't know. I, yes, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever said that to me before. I've been told to stop talking because I'm making them think about throwing themselves off a bridge. That seems. Oh, man. Well, Noob Steve doesn't feel like jumping off a bridge. He sent in 74,656 hats using Fountain. I hoard that which your kind covered. Uh-oh. He says, let's see if you figure this theme out. Thanks for recommending Google Business. I really, really wanted to hate it, especially after all the Google Photo stories, but I just can't too perfect for what i need and honestly the apps are the best out of there from the napple native one native ones in my opinion especially the calendar i decided to do the website on linode though i tried two other hosting services that do everything for you and it was nothing but problems and some of them charge stupid amounts of money way to go noob steve well done sir and yeah i feel you on the google apps thing yeah they're very good yeah they got you there right and it it's such a perfect little way to like turn around and take your investment in all the public apps and, and privatize them. And I mean, it's just the whole thing is very clever. It's a lot. Yeah. Chris, he comes in with 45,332 sats using Podverse. Uh, he says, uh, if I checked out of tech, I would have done low voltage or marine electrician or a diesel mechanic or marine diesel, but I'm not sure I could have taken the plunge. Oh, low voltage or a marine electrician. You know, I think mechanics are going to have a re- renaissance. I think it's going to be a golden age for mechanics out there. I don't know what you think, but yeah, I think with the price of cars, I mean, a new car is over $20,000. I mean, even a used Toyota with like 50,000 miles on it is ridiculously expensive, right? I mean, it's anything like that where you're repairing old equipment to be, uh, to be reused to just, uh, I mean, this is, it depends on if you fry the bacon that Chris and I fry, which is the, we're going into a big crash bacon. He also he also writes the overlap of Pythonistas and Excel is called an infosec vulnerability management program. <laughs> there is a company in Tampa that all they do is Microsoft uh, security work. I feel like they're going to be very excited <laughs> if they're not already. It's a jobs program. It, yeah. See, and we say Microsoft's evil. Evil. They were once again subsidizing the open source community by opening up Excel to a bunch of malware. There you go. <laughs> Karen Bug comes in with 27,567 sats using Fountain. My next journey has started. There's so many ways to do the same thing, or at least it seems so. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to set up extensions on VS Code. So far, I'm confused. 
Um, yeah, so I think I they have two VS Code options, and I think I did the one that's like the VHS one or something like that. I can't remember. And that lets you just install an extension you want and get access to the whole file system. But it is tricky on those immutable distros. You install something like VS Code, and it's it thinks it's a standard uh, Linux file system, and it yeah, it's a little out of place. So you do have to be careful. Mixzip comes in with twenty five thousand sats using Castomatic. If I wasn't an on in IT, honestly, I'd just love to be a dishwasher at a fine dining restaurant. Why not? You know, it's isn't it's mechanic, it's dishwasher, it's jobs that are like. Low. I was going to say, you know, we're all just wanting to like stop thinking about this now, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's fascinating insight. And I feel like I totally understand. You want to get to something where like, I think too, it's like immediate tangible results or as close to immediate as you get in a job. You do something that like you wash the dishes, the dishes are clean. You work on the engine, the engine is fixed. You wire the lighting, the lights turn on, you know, it is one to one. You know what? I used to work as a janitor and there was some like weird zenness about being a janitor. You know what? The bathroom is uh, horrific. But then an hour later, it's not right. Yeah, like, I never want to really wash the car generally sometimes, but not often. But then you know, by the time I'm done, I'm like, oh, man, I'm really glad I did this. Look at that. It looks great. You Welcome know? to old man <laughs> retirement radio. Yeah, really, right. really. Uh, I love these insights, though, hearing what people would do. That's really great. I'd also like to know if you could stay in tech, but you could shift to a different niche in tech. What would you shift over to? Would, it, would you like we were watching on the pre-show? Mm. Uh, Bloomberg says that all the jobs that were lost with the tech layoffs, most of them have been snapped up by AI hires. Now they're all working in AI. Would you, would you booster, would you be willing to switch trains like that? Or if you could, which would you switch to? Uh, Hunnigan came in with 20,000 sats using fountain saying monster show. Thanks guys. And we got 5,000 sats from unknown sender. Serious question. You say all the booster in your infrastructure. What happens if your machine goes down? Womp, womp. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, what happens if somebody breaks in and steals the cash register or, you know, something like that. So you can do backups, of course. I think at this point, I'm kind of comfortable with self-hosted infrastructure, but it is a risk. Now, the way it works is all of the keys in my wallet are derived from a seed phrase. So what I can do is take that seed phrase to another system, input that seed phrase, and then it will regenerate those keys. So you don't... Oh, that's clever. Yeah, because technically... The coins live on the blockchain. What you have is the other side of the key in your wallet, right? But the, the actual coin, the, the, that's actually on the blockchain. So you're just storing the keys on your wallet, and that's why you can regenerate them. And then you get access to those keys that live on the blockchain. The gig comes in with a little adorable row of ducks. Nice. Sonic ding. Oh, all right, let's do it, because you know what? We did get there, so stand by. We'll get a sonic ding. 14,961 sats from deleted. I did something today I previously thought I'd never do. I unsubscribed from the Coda Radio feed. I'm still a party member and I love GB, but Coda Radio has just become an hour of negativity. I get that AI and blockchain and politics are all negative aspects of the industry. But so many great things are being going on that I, as a developer, want to listen to the show and I don't want to dwell on the negatives every week. The boost amount isn't random. See if you can figure it out. 14,961. 14961. Is it a zip code? No. No? No? Okay. Is it... Huh. I don't yeah, know. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not good at that. That's what I have West do. But to the negativity, you know, we got that. We got that a lot um, back in the summer when we were 
raising the alarm about the upcoming tech layoffs. And uh, we were really the only one of the only shows talking about that at the time. And uh, we gave people a good, you know, six to eight months heads up what was coming down the pipe. And we definitely got a few emails from people who said, I can't listen anymore. Um, but we did get one one person who wrote back into the show later on and said, I'm sorry, I didn't listen to you guys at the time. Yeah, but that was bad because he got shellacked, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it's unfortunately with a show that's so focused on like, you know, the dev related news uh, and we're in this kind of trough, right? Where there is no, you know, this isn't 2009, 2010 and we're at the, we're in a gold rush for the iPhone. Um, the AI stuff, I'm actually not negative on the AI stuff, so I'm not sure right. where that's coming from, yeah. but it, it's not as much of an opportunity for the independent developer as let's say mobile was. And I think too, there is a, a space for a voice that has a different take than maybe what the verge is going to write or what all the other tech podcasts are going to say, right? There's, there is a counterbalance to a lot of these narratives that we just see go out and they just blow up and then they ultimately pop. And generally there is some real signal in there. And I think that's where our show tries to land and not so much on the hype side of it, but it does mean that, you know, one show might be really positive on a topic and we might be a little more cynical on a topic sometimes. Yeah. And we might be positive on things. For instance, I would argue all the, the focus on Linux and stuff. We're probably way more positive than your, your more mainstream. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a balance. Dark matter dev comes in with 5,000 sats. First time boosting decoder. He says he hopes the username trolls Mike a little bit. Go mission, Dark Matter mission, PHP mission, dev. Yep, mission accomplished. <laughs> I see it. You know what? You just keep cashing those paychecks, you bastard. <laughs> Mere Mortals podcast comes in with a row of ducks. Uh, Kyron writes, I'm gradually piecing together an idea of open source community and how it works. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We're rounding out with Scott and a couple of more. He said, I had a message, but I forgot what it was. So here's 10,000 sats. <laughs> that was easy. Kraftnik's 9,999 sats. Neovim, always. Oh, geez. You know what? I don't know where the Emacs stands are, but they are not fighting back. Guys, you got to GNU up. What's going on? Oh, Meezy's got a question for us. 5,555 sets. Thanks for the podcast, fellas. I'm starting to roll as a senior front-end developer. Nice. I was wondering if you have any advice or insights for what qualities make someone effective as a leader in developing software. So basically management? Yeah. Yeah, because he's a senior front-end developer. Yeah, so I, I imagine he is like Junior's Blum. I don't know. I mean, the two things that I think are I had to learn and took me years was don't assume because a junior developer is not complaining in Slack that he or she is okay because you sh people, especially junior people, have a tendency to not want to point out when they're having trouble because they're afraid that they will get you know reprimanded or fired or something. So I would say over-communicate, especially with more junior folks. I like some pretty aggressive time gating in terms of blocking out time for specific tasks. It can become a little absurd, right? When you're just like living by a, you know, like one of those weird stoic Instagram posts, like schedule everything. But some level of that has helped me avoid falling into the pit of like, oh, somebody hit me up on Element, somebody hit me on Discord, Slack, I got this meeting, that meeting. Yeah, just saying like, turn notifications off the next two to three hours, I'm you know, coding, right? Because I'm sure you're still an, if you're a senior front end dev, you're still an individual contributor. So you have to actually get your work done too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would also add, you know, the, one of the best bosses I had for a project was uh, a gal who would listen to everybody's input on the, you know, the stack and the, and all like the little things like colors and whatnot. And then 
would take it all in and have a have a good gut call on which direction to go, and then we'd make a decision and move forward. But the key was listening, you know, because sometimes there are some good ideas in there that just because we've always done it one way didn't mean it was maybe worth considering. So I know it seems kind of obvious, but I I've had so many bosses that sort of have made up their mind when the conversation starts. So I would avoid that. But Beezy, congratulations on the promotion. Uh, keep us updated. Send us in a boost in a little bit and tell us how it's going. I'd love to know. Altair the Blue came in with 10,000 sats. He says, I don't know if I totally agree with you guys and your take on the CISA waiting into open source. Oh, yeah, this mm. is a good one. Yeah. I read this. So we talked about this last week about CISA looking at throwing around money in open source to help uh, pay for some security patches, but kind of also picking winners and losers in that process. He says, I prefer to look at it with Har- Harkham's razor. They are right. The feds are right that there's not a lot of unaudited code on, and there's varying quality in the FOSS space that gets blindly applied to larger projects, including government work. And there's always a bunch of ways of throwing around money at a problem that can actually help from education to code audits to creating, quote, standards. In here, CISA's request as, quote, how can the government money printer help you not blindly accept this code, Raytheon Blackstone, which, of course, has a, has this different set of issues, but not one of them is vilifying free and open source software. Hopefully we'll get lucky and there will be a monetization path for small developers that this comes from. The media is clueless as ever, but when it comes to how technology actually gets created and rolled out, I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So his core point is, hey, you know what? We'll get some paid developers out of this. We might get some code audits. We'll get some education. And maybe some high-profile institutions will have a little bit more protected code. Maybe it's a net benefit. I mean, that's I agree with most of that. The part where I fall off is that the uh, small devs are going to get the money. It seems super likely to me that he mentions he name checks Raytheon, right? That Raytheon will uh, just open a new service line where they quote fortified open source, or they'll do your open source audit for you, right? Um, or they'll get the funding through you know benefits write offs to hire people to work on open source, so the developers become Raytheon employees. Well, or they won't be employees, but they'll be a small independent contractors or, or sure, companies sure. so that Raytheon can then say that this percentage of the contract went to a small business, therefore qualifying for a little bit of boost in the bidding process. Trust me, I know a sad amount about how, how much this works or how this works. <laughs> Unless you've been in the space, I think it's hard to understand just how much money the federal government spends on quote unquote auditing things in terms of technical audits. And just how eager and skilled the salesmen for these large uh, vendors are at capturing that value. So, I, I mean, it would be great, right, if like the Defense Department just like hired up half the developers for Docker or something, right, half the <laughs> contributors or whatever open source project we're worried about, you know, today. And Docker is a big company, so they're a bad example, but more commute, like the Rust language. Maybe the Navy should just like disband the Rust community and reform it, right? as part of the Navy. I await your emails on that one because I know poking at the crabs is always a bad choice. But that's not going to happen, right? Raytheon's going to do it or someone like Raytheon. So, And here's the, the, the boost I'd like to hear come in is if not the U.S. federal government, who? Because Nobody. while I have reservations, right, we, we just seem unable to solve this problem of developers not getting paid for their work. Right, like, we've been talking about this since 2012 and we yeah. still don't have a good answer. So while I don't love the federal government doing it, I'd love to hear somebody articulate who or how or what mechanism could do it. 
Now, there, there may be an opportunity in the beginning, let's just take my Rust example, on like, you know, some of the top Rust developers in the country might be great, uh, and kind of like what you were implying, great candidates for a job they might not otherwise have gotten at like a Blackstone or a Raytheon that pays a lot and has great benefits. But that's going to be, that's not going to last forever. That, that's going to be something that happens to a select few Kind of like, you know, just, you know, poking all the bears here, but like how the Linux Foundation selectively funds things, kind of like that, right? Indeed. And very little of it actually goes to Linux. Right. So, yeah, just stuff around it, I suppose, and other things. Yes. Uh, thank you, everybody who did boost in above the 2000 sat cutoff. Uh, we really appreciate it. In fact, we really did quite great this week. We had 16 boosters, 18 total boosts came in, and the show earned 358,513 sats. Which is fantastic, and uh, we're going to set that goal for next week at 300,000, and our questions that you're looking for an excuse to boost in is realistically. Okay, so we can't all really just bail out of tech, but what niche would you transition to if the one you're currently in dried up, was coming to an end, the bubble burst? Entertain the idea. What other tech niche would you transition to? And then the other question I'd like answered, if not the U.S. federal government, who could or what structure could step in and fund these free software developers? I mean, I've got my ideas, but obviously, what could we actually do that would fully take off? Thank you, everybody who supported the show via a boost. You can boost with a new podcast app or without switching by getalby.com and finding us on the podcast index. Yes. Yes. And of course, a big thank you to our members on the live stream. We're going to uh, sit down and record a little special Coder yeah. QA. So we'll have a Coder QA Coderly coming out uh, we just kind of asked Drew to get to it when he has time, so we don't have a set deadline on it, but it'll be in the queue very soon. So thank you to our members. That's coming your way. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the good people? Yeah, I'm at Dumanuko on Weapon X and <laughs> DominicM.com. I'm glad you remembered. I forgot. I, I forgot. can't forget it. Every, so here's a weird thing. Sometimes I log in, it still has the blue, like the blue secondary and tertiary coloring. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Huh. Transitions, man, they're hard. <laughs> the CDN is just not cooperating, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. You got to update all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm at Chris Elias on Weapon X, at Jupiter Signal for the whole network, and at Coda Radio Show if you want to follow. That's like where we'll do live stream announcements and stuff at Coda Radio Show. Also, you can find us in Matrix, Coder.show slash Matrix. That's our live chat going all week and during our live stream. And we do stream on Mondays. No, not Tuesdays, actually. Kind of, well, it depends. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. Yeah. Go to the calendar. Go to the calendar. But it'll be noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday or Tuesday. That's all you got to worry about. That's why I just say subscribe. Coder.show slash RSS. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. <laughs>